ourselves today in chapter 8. Um, we've been in it for a few months, and I'm only in chapter 8 because it's just so good I can't find myself trying to rush through it. And today we're going to read about girl power and seeds everywhere, all right? So I'm so excited for this. Here we go. First of all, girl power. I want to read the first three verses of Luke chapter 8 for us. After this, Jesus traveled about from town and village, to one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, his twelve disciples. And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Somebody counted. That's interesting. Okay. <laughs> Johanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support the ministry of Jesus out of their own means. Okay? Now, I... Sorry, i got to adjust this really quick. There. I have been a pastor for the last 32 years of my life, and i got to tell you, in that 32-year period, I've seen some pretty freaky stuff inside of church world. Things like clown ministries. Oh, okay. <laughs> middle school mimed plays. Mime and middle schoolers should never go together. Mime and anything shouldn't go together, okay? I saw that. I saw a friend, I talked to a friend in his college, there was a guest speaker, 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 okay? I'm a guest speaker that tried to convince people that a, a, a valuable form of prayer was chirping in the spirit. Chirping like a bird in the spirit. So all these college kids were in the room chirping while my friend was, yeah, thank you very much, chirping right there, okay? It was not in the spirit, it was just chirping and it was weird. Or about 97% of Christian television. All this stuff to me is just weird. Sorry, but it's just weird. One thing that I not only find weird, but I find an absolute travesty has to do with the role of women in the church. Namely, women haven't had much of a role in the church. All throughout history, and even sadly today, the, the, the part of the church of leadership, women in leadership, has been just neglected. It's been a male-dominated word, you know, primarily. There is nothing wrong with male pastors and leaders. i got to tell you that. I am one, okay? But the problem is many churches and even whole groups or denominations of churches don't allow women to be involved in any sort of leadership. We do here. We have women on our church council overseeing our finances. We have women worship leaders, who you just heard Jesse today. We have women preachers. We have women on staff. We have women teachers. Please let me tell you why today, because it's very, very much on purpose. I've got to do one other thing. This is just driving me crazy. Okay. How do I do this? Oh. There. I know that seems weird, but it's just too high. Okay? I want to tell you why, because it's very much on purpose that we do this. First of all, we have women in leadership here because of our denomination. We are a part of a denomination called the Foursquare Denomination, just like your old playground school. It's the worst name of a denomination ever, but they chose it, okay? It actually started in the early 1900s in the Los Angeles area, and our denomination, or groups of churches, which include all the faith centers in this area, is, was started by a woman named Amy McPherson. She was radical, man. In the 1920s, she was just radical. I read through a collection of her sermons. She could bring it. If you want to borrow that book, you can read her sermon. She was a fantastic preacher, kind of a female Billy Graham of the era, okay? And she planted 
thousands of churches through her church. She raised up all these leaders. She was just dynamic. It would be so ridiculous for me as a pastor of a four-square church to not allow women to preach or be involved in leadership when we're a part of a denomination that was started by a woman. Okay, that would just be silly. So that's the first reason we allow women to be in leadership here. The second reason has to do with the ancient Hebrew word ruach. Ruach, and it's actually a little more guttural than that. It's ruach, okay? Ruach is actually the ancient word for spirit or breath, all right? Now, we believe in God as Trinity here. Please don't ask me to explain that to you. It makes my head hurt. It's kind of a mystery. But we believe in God as this group dynamic, this divine dance between Father, Son, and Spirit, or Father, Son, and Ruach. Now, here's where it gets fun. Ruach is a female word in Hebrew. It's a female word. It's feminine. Now, think about it. There's been a popular phrase used to describe people's experience with Jesus for decades now, for hundreds of years, actually. When somebody begins their faith walk with Jesus, we say of them, they have been born again, or they have been born of the Spirit. All right? That's what we say. Now, physically, everybody in this room it was born of a woman. There's not a single person here that's a spawn of an alien, okay? Despite what they told you in middle school, all right? Everybody in here was born of a woman. So to say we are born of the Spirit or born of Ruach, we must think of God as mother to us. Now stay with me here because some of you are freaking out right now, okay? So God is this dance, this group dynamic between the three persons of the Trinity, between Father, Son, and Ruach, or you might more accurately say between Father, Son, and Mother. So God is the original family that we are born into spiritual when we begin a relationship with Jesus. This is why Genesis is such a beautiful book to me. I preached out of it about a year ago. Um, preached is a word, I think. Okay, I spoke out of it a year ago. And in the first chapter, God is talking with God's self and saying, let us, notice the plural there, let us make mankind in our image. And God created them male and female. So don't you see, men and women are both created in the likeness and the image of God because there are aspects of the divine that are definitely male-like. And there are also aspects of the divine, aspects of God that are definitely feminine, nurturing, and comforting. Some will object here if you've read your Bible and will say to me, yeah, Tim, but I've read in the Bible, in the New Testament, that in the early church, women were never allowed to lead or preach. I'm totally aware of those verses. But just because something did happen doesn't mean it should continue to happen. We've got to understand that. Take the Old Testament, for example. In Old Testament times, it was considered rude to guess somebody's age as younger than they actually were. You actually wanted to guess their age as older than you thought they were because they so honored the aged and the wisdom that came along with aging. You always wanted to guess their age older. They also viewed weight gain not as a negative. Weight gain was considered a really, really good thing. It was the sign of blessing and abundance and prosperity to them. Look at this verse. There's a love poem in the Old Testament called Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. And in chapter 7, this guy is talking about his lover. It's a love poem to her. And he says, your navel, your belly button, is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. And your waist 
is a mound, a mountain of wheat surrounded by lilies. Obviously, we've changed our views a little over the past several thousand years. I doubt you want to walk up to somebody nowadays and go, wow, you are looking old and large today. I bet your belly button could hold like a whole bottle of wine in there, all right? We've changed our views over the last couple of thousand years. We've progressed. We need to change our views of women in leadership. And talking about the early church just right after the time of Jesus, yes, they didn't allow women to lead. But the early church also had people that were getting drunk on the communion wine and sleeping with their mother-in-laws and, dra- and bragging about it. Those are traditions I don't think we should carry on either, all right? We've got to progress. That was 2,000 years ago in a male-dominated patriarchal society, which we kind of still live in, okay? We must progress because to not allow women to lead and especially to preach in church is to rob us all of half of the voice of God. There are so many things we're only going to be able to hear and experience through the voice and perspective of a woman. So do you women in here, please know there is a place for you here. Not just in the seats listening, there's certainly a place for you doing that. But there's a place for you here on the platform singing. There's a place for you here on the platform preaching, if that's your gift. There's a place for you leading, serving, overseeing our finances, everything, okay? If God has given you leadership gifts, far be it for Joel and I as the head pastors here to stand in God's way. The third reason we want women to lead here in this church has to do with the verses we just read. There are three women mentioned here. Mary, who had seven demons cast out of her, like to see that story someday, and Susanna, who we know hardly anything about, and then Joanna. Now, I'm a history buff, and I'm going to geek out for just a little bit, so stay with me, but a little history here, okay? At the time of Jesus' birth, there was a king named Herod. There was a bunch of Herods in the Bible. It can get confusing. It's like when you watch movies about, you know, British history and all the Henrys. It's like, which Henry is this? Which Edward? Whatever. And Elizabeth? How many Elizabeths were there, okay? Same with Herods in the Scripture. Well, this guy at the birth of Jesus was called Herod the Great. Despite his name, not a great guy. Killed a lot of people, okay? And in fact, at the birth of Jesus... He'd heard that Jesus was a king. We read about this at Christmas time. And he was jealous of this Jesus, this infant Jesus, because he thought Jesus would grow up to usurp his kingdom, which Jesus did. So he tried to have Jesus killed. In an attempt to kill Jesus, he slaughtered hundreds, multitudes of innocent children. Not a great guy. But he didn't kill Jesus. So years later, Herod has a son, and in an egotistic manner, guess what he names him? Herod. Okay, but this Herod is Herod Antipas, also not a good guy, but filthy rich, like private jet rich, if there would have been private jets back then. He hires a guy named Chusa to be his financial advisor, which would have made Chusa incredibly wealthy, all right? He's kind of like a big shot CEO at the time. Chusa married Johanna, the Johanna we just read about here. Johanna would have been fabulously rich too, but she didn't think that hobnobbing with the rich and famous was a very interesting life. So instead, she traveled around with Jesus and his disciples and helped finance, bankroll his ministry. So put it all together, okay? Here in Luke chapter 13, if you want to read further on on your own, we see that Herod Antipas is trying to kill Jesus just like his father did. So here we have Herod Antipas, who hates Jesus, wants him dead, 
but he hires Chusa, who is married to Johanna, who is going around funding the ministry of Jesus. So in a sense, Herod, who wanted Jesus dead, is bankrolling the ministry of Jesus. It's fun how God works things out, okay? But all this to say, that was just a me geeking out for a moment and doesn't have that much to do with this sermon, but I just thought that was totally cool. All right? But all this to say, these three women were fully empowered participants in the ministry of Jesus. And if Jesus knows the importance of women in leadership, we should follow his example. So I say to you, ladies, bring it on. Fan into flame the gifts that are within you because, oh, the things that this faith community is going to see and hear and experience when both men and women are honored and when both men and women don't suppress their gifts but fan them into flame and are allowed to express their gifts. Can I get an amen for this part of the sermon, okay? All right. So, if some of you women are going, man, I felt like I need to be doing some stuff, talk to us. Uh, My voice squeaked a little bit there, sorry. Uh, Talk to us, okay? Man, we want to get you involved. We want your gifts. If you can preach, I mean, Brandy just preached. Oh, by the way, if you didn't hear Brandy's sermon last week, Oh, you should listen to that online. You missed it. She can bring it. And we have other women preach it too. So i got to move on. I'm getting all fired up there. Now let's talk about seeds everywhere. I want to read a story that Jesus told a group of people. And it's a famous parable. It's called the parable of the sower. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told them this parable, this story. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. It got baked out. Other seed fell among the thorns and grew up, and it choked out the plants. The thorns grew up and choked it out. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now, later on, he explains this story to him because they go, what are you talking about? He says this, the meaning of the parable is this. The seed is God's word. We'll talk about that in a second. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they might not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, when things get tough, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked out by life's worries and riches and pleasures, and they never mature. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart. They hear the word, they retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Now, I think this parable is often misunderstood because most of the time when we read it, if you're like me, we read it and we instantly think of other people's lives. We think, Oh, man, some people just can't seem to receive what God wants for them. They are deceived and shallow, distracted people. It sucks to be them. Okay, that's kind of how we read this parable. A couple of things. First of all, it's always good when you're reading the Bible to not focus on somebody else right away, but to focus on you. You're going to find that incredibly helpful. Because if I'm honest, there are many times when the soil of my heart is not in good shape. Okay, my heart is a lot like I was mowing my lawn the other day and I realized my heart is a lot like my front lawn. There are areas of my front lawn that are lush 
and green. It's so, the grass is so perfect it looks like I painted it on or something. It's amazing. There are other areas of my lawn where the grass is really sparse. Some areas that get baked out in the sun when the sun starts to shine in Eugene, which will in like three more months, okay? And sometimes this, the grass is kind of sparse because there's areas I can't make my sprinklers reach. No matter how I adjust those stupid little heads, it just won't reach certain areas, and that area dies. And there's one particular area in my lawn that's about this big that has never grown for 12 years because the neighbor lets his dog pee on that spot all the time, all the time, okay? A little urine's good for your grass, but he just, like, overwhelms it with his pee, okay? So that's what my heart is like. On any given day, my heart, I'm telling you the truth, my heart can resemble any of the soils that Jesus mentioned here. There are sometimes my heart is so busy with some sort of temptation that I just really, I just don't really want to listen to God. It's almost like I'm saying to God, God, I'll listen to you later. Right now, I'm too busy sinning, okay? There are other times I hear what God is saying, but I don't put it into action. So that little nugget of truth and goodness, it dries up and withers away. It's because I don't put it into action. That is not good. It's almost like I'm saying to God, God, thank you for that nugget of truth and goodness and insight. I believe it. I really do believe it. And it made me feel warm and fuzzy, but I'm not ready to live it out yet. Not ready to get that serious about what you're saying to me because I'm kind of comfortable just being in spiritual neutral right now. And that is not good. There's a progression of God's word in our life. I want to put it up on the screen. Here's the progression God wants for us. Hearing believing and living. First, we hear what God's trying to communicate to us. Then we actually believe it. We know it to be true. And then we live it out. There are so many times in my life I get stuck on step two. I hear what God's saying to me. I really do. I read the Bible or hear God in some other way. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. And I believe it. I believe it's true and good and right for my life. And then I just leave it there. I never live it out. That's not good. Because even the devil gets to step two. Satan himself hears God's word. Satan himself believes God's word, but it hasn't really affected his lifestyle very much, in case you haven't noticed, okay? That's why some Christians, they can quote reams of the Bible about God's love and compassion and still be heartless toads to the people around them because they get stuck on step two. They never live out the truth that they know and believe, and that happens to me as well. Then, of course, there are times in my life when, when my heart is so choked by the worries and the wants of the world that I'm completely unaware of what God is trying to communicate to me. I've been watching the NBA playoffs right now. If you're not a basketball fan, you're kind of missing out. In right now, I think in this period of time, the NBA has more unbelievably talented athletes than it ever has before. The displays they put on, it's like, a, it's like a ballet dance to me. It's just the athletic ability and the giftedness is off the charts. I'm looking at this picture one time online as I was checking some NBA scores, and there's a picture of some people in the front two rows of an NBA game. To sit in the front two rows of any NBA game, you don't just buy those tickets for 20 bucks. You have to be either incredibly wealthy or know somebody that's incredibly wealthy. And here in the middle of this game, I see this whole row of people, this fantastic playoff game's going on, and they're all on their phones. All of them. 
they're all on their phones playing Fortnite or some other game. I don't know what they're doing, checking their emails. They're missing out on this unbelievable, talented, athletic ballet unfold in front of them. And that's what we do in our lives. We miss out on the glorious because we're so distracted by the busyness or what we think is urgent in our life. I want to put up on the screen this old prayer. It's a Jewish prayer for the Sabbath, for their holy day. Look what it says. Days pass and the years vanish and we walk sightless amongst miracles. Fill our eyes with seeing and our minds with knowing. Let there be moments when your presence, like lightning, illumines the darkness that we are in. Wow, in which we walk. Help us to see wherever we gaze that the bush burns, referring to burning bush, unconsumed, and we, clay touched by God, will reach out for, um, reach our, reach out, I think it's supposed to say, they reach out for holiness and exclaim in wonder how filled with awe is this place. So if you are like me, it is obvious that there are moments when I walk through my days and I'm so caught up in the busyness of life that I walk sightless amongst miracles. We need to focus not on the soil of other people's hearts. We need to focus on the soil of our own hearts, which is why at the end of our time today, I'm going to put that back on the screen and have us stand and pray that prayer over our own lives. All right? Second thing I want us to notice about this parable is this. The parable is actually a lot more about God than it is about us because God is the star in this story. He's the sower. And the parable isn't called the parable of the soils. It's called the parable of the sower. Okay? So it's about him. Jesus is actually using this story to show us what God is like, which is so cool. So I want to take a closer look at it. First of all, what is the sower sowing? Well, he's sowing his seed, and he's sowing what God and Jesus calls the Word. Does that just mean the Bible? Is that what God is sowing? He's sowing his word to us through the Bible? Well, yeah, it means the Bible, but it means more than that. I've told you this, and I'll tell you till I'm blue in the face. God speaks to us in a variety of languages in multiple ways. Does he speak to us through Scripture? Absolutely. There are times when you're reading your Bible, and all of a sudden the words seem to jump off of the page, and you feel that there's a voice in there, and that you're not reading the Bible. The Bible's reading you, and you sense God speaking to you through those words. That's great. But don't stop there. God also speaks to us in other ways, like through nature. Scripture says that the heavens declare the glory of God. Every time you walk outside, nature is telling you something about our Creator. That's what's happening. God also speaks to us in His still, small voice. You'll go through your days, and you'll get these inklings or these urgings or these promptings in your heart and you know god is trying to show you or direct you somewhere that's his voice start to recognize that voice god also speaks through other people i'm mystified at how often god sounds like my wife or kids my wife or kids will say something to me and i'll know ooh, that's not just them talking god wants to communicate something to me i don't tell them that because their heads would just swell okay but it's true god speaks through sermons he three speaks through books, he speaks to us through movies, and he even speaks to us through music. There's a church in the Midwest that does this thing every August called Finding God in Your iPod, and the preacher plays a song and then preaches out of that song, and it cracked me up because I used to do that as a youth pastor, but we called it audio gospel, and I'm actually going to do it in July and August, 
myself and several other preachers are going to play you songs straight off the charts, okay? Some Christian songs, some definitely not Christian ones. Wait till you hear some of them, okay? And you're going to hear God's voice speak to you through the lyrics of those songs. It's going to be so great. I can't wait. kind of wish I could start it earlier, but i got to be patient, okay? And notice something about this sower, though. He is not very careful with the seed. If you've ever planted grass or something, you don't want to waste the seed, so you're careful just to sow the seed where the good soil is. But this sower in this parable, he's not doing that. He's just chucking it everywhere. He's very haphazard about it. It's kind of like feeding a two-year-old. I don't know if any of you have had kids and had the experience or if you babysat and tried to feed a two-year-old. Oh my gosh, food goes everywhere. A small amount of it actually goes inside their body, okay? But the rest of it goes on their face, in their hair, on the floor, on the walls, on the ceiling before, okay? And on every orifice of their body. You give them a bath later and you're going, how did a SpaghettiO get there? I don't even know how a SpaghettiO got to that little area and region of your body. It's amazing. That's what the sower is like. There is seed flying in all directions. Sure, some of it hits the good soil, but other uh, parts of the seed hit thorn patches and pathways and rocky soil. He's chucking it everywhere. This shows us the outrageous generosity of our God. You see, God is always communicating to us. He's always talking. He's always speaking things into our life that brings joy and hope and encouragement and strength and wisdom and knowledge. He's always talking to us. He's even going to sow the seed of his word into our life in those moments when he knows we're not going to receive it. That doesn't stop him. He just keeps chucking the seed into our life, waiting for that one day when it will finally take root and produce a crop of good deeds to the people around us. I was looking the other day, I don't know why I was searching for this, but I went through um, state mottos. You know, we have a lot of state things. We have a state bird, metal lark for us, a state flower, a state animal, all these state things. We actually have state mottos. I found four of them for you. I just wanted to show them to you, and I'll tell you why I'm telling you this in a minute. Let's look at the first state motto. Live free or die. That's a little blunt, isn't it? That's their state motto, okay? It's New Hampshire, by the way. And it, I kind of don't like it because it's blunt, and plus you're stealing from the give me liberty or give me death thing. So, whatever. But let's move on to the second one. To be rather than to seem. I don't even know what that means, okay? That's North Carolina. It almost makes me never want to go to North Carolina because are you being or are you just seeming to be right now, okay? Look at this one. This one's absurd to me. If you seek a pleasant peninsula, look about you. That's Michigan. Michigan is not a pleasant peninsula in my mind, okay? But okay, if for all you peninsula seekers, you can live in Michigan. And then look at this one. This is the last one. She flies with her own wings. That's Oregon, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> definitely, I love the graphic that Stephanie put up. Written by somebody in Eugene, wasn't it? We fly with our own wings. We don't borrow other people's wings. We fly with our own wings. And I don't know why I was even looking at those, but I started to think, our states have mottos, and I think if God had a motto, it could be a lot of things, but one of the things it could definitely be is this seeds everywhere because he just keeps coming at us with his goodness and he just keeps
keep speaking to us. I want to pray for us. And at the end of this prayer, I'm going to ask you to stand. And then I'm going to pray this ancient Jewish prayer. And we're all going to pray it out loud um, over our lives. So let me pray for us first.